0: Welcome to Capital Class, I'm Adam Geary. We founded Capital Class to share candid conversations with market-leading businesses while humanizing the journey of constructing an enterprise. Normally, predicting the future is often reserved for late-night infomercials and roadside tarot card rooms. However, in today's evolving economy, the prediction that AI will evolve the way you work, live, and learn is almost a certainty. Furthermore, the likelihood we will all need to continue our education is basically a guarantee, even for this podcast host. While these concepts may be unsettling, there are leaders thinking about how we evolve with a technological tidal wave to consider these opportunities for freedom and exploration. In today's class, we ask the questions, what is the future of K-12 education? How important is the creator mindset? And how should we prepare for AI in our lives? To answer these questions, we are joined by Tom Vander Ark. Tom is the CEO, or as he likes to say it, chief education officer of Getting Smart. Tom's career has led him to found one of America's first virtual schools in 1994, I may add, and leading the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's first efforts into education. Tom's made a career predicting accurately, in most cases, some of the most important education advancements of our times. We pose these questions and many more in today's episode of Capital Class. We hope you enjoy. Today, we are joined by Tom Vander Ark, CEO of Getting Smart. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Adam. Great to be with you.
0: Ty, I must admit, uh, by far one of the most unique business names, Getting Smart. W- what is it you guys do?
1: We're an advocacy and advisory firm. We, we help uh, schools and systems um, and people that support them, uh, foundations uh, and organizations around the world. Um, we uh, advise uh, clients and we we stand up um, advocacy campaigns around emerging issues and the link between the two is our goal is to help education leaders figure out what to do next.
0: Wow, fascinating! And and what are what are you seeing? What is on the horizon in the what's to do next category?
1: Well, there's a global reconsideration of what school is for. Um, we're excited about uh, global conversations about. Um, Incorporating a broader set of aims that are more relevant uh, to the 21st century, um, the, the pandemic, um, for one, really accelerated the adoption of uh, social and emotional learning and, uh, and really moving those maybe from the outside uh, to the center of, of uh, how people think about what school is for and the, the objectives that, that we should have. Uh, but the, the economy has changed so much and we're facing so much novelty and complexity that uh, we think that the two most important um, learning outcomes are, are now really leadership and problem solving. The ability to spot new problems, uh, develop solutions, often with a community, and deliver value to that community. Uh, that's the... That's the new set of skills and, and mindsets that are most valuable uh, and, and most necessary given uh, the compounding uh, crises that we face. I think on a
0: practicality standpoint, you know, for years we've always heard about what's required, right? At one point it was STEM and then it was, then people went really tangible, right? It was coding. Uh, and now you're talking about leadership and problem solving. In your perspective, how does that get integrated? Right? Is it like what, yeah. What's the actual implementation of that?
1: Yeah, we we think that uh, both high school and college really can be reorganized as a series of skill sprints and projects. That um, uh, projects um, are really uh, useful because they they can be framed around work that's important to the learner and to the community, and so that creates a, a high degree of motivation and engagement and persistence to performance. And if you can link skill sprints to those projects, so that it creates relevance for why you need to improve your, your reading and writing and speaking uh, and your problem-solving skills, um, you can transfer some of that high motivation over to uh, the skill sprints, the skill um courses that are, uh, that are super important. And we're excited to see a lot of schools um, organizing this way. A, a quick example is Purdue Polytechnic in um, Indianapolis uh, is, a, is a school that uh, uses blended learning strategies to help every learner uh, move as fast as they can in, in skill and content areas. And then they, they work with business partners to identify problems and then tee those up. Students can bid on those projects and then take on a problem that, that they're interested in that's important to a client and, uh, and experience delivering value in a, that business sense when they're 16 or 17 years old. Basically
0: taking it straight from the classroom into application, but almost as if the application matters. They're using the experience as the actual lesson, and then we're tying that back to school, not yeah. the other way around, where you yeah. read a book and then participated, this right. would be almost the
1: inverse. And behind that is the, the new skill of co-authoring. Um, we think teachers need to help learners co-author learning experiences and learning journeys. In fact, uh, the Superintendents Association and their great report, Learning 2025, um, adopted this idea of co-authoring as being one of the important directions for the future. What we mean by co-authoring is is walking alongside a young person, helping them reflect on their strengths, interests, and values, helping them appreciate what's happening in the world, and then working with them to create um, inquiry-based, place-based, community-connected projects that deliver value to a community. So those, those experiences can be packed full of um, English and social studies and history and, and STEM objectives. A, a great example is crosstown uh, or Crossroads High in, um, in Memphis. Um, they take uh, students uh, it, around Memphis and learners pick out a, a problem that they want to work on and then they launch in and write a research paper about it. so but it's a research paper on a topic that they really care about. Then they use design thinking, uh, to build solutions and they deliver those solutions to people in the community. So that's a, a great example from, um, Crosstown High of, of how the teacher and the student work together, uh, to, to build projects that are, uh, that are packed with valuable academic, uh, skills, but important to the learner in the community.
0: I think historically, this was, a uh something that would happen in the classroom organically or on accident. You're talking about something incredibly intentional. Would accountability need to be changed for this to fit in in a more congruent way?
1: Well, we, we certainly have seen the, the, the downside, the unintended consequences of uh, the accountability systems that we stood up. I, I have some accountability for that while, while I was helping to fund some of America's most progressive high school um, Networks. I, I was also helping to sponsor um, all the organizations that wrote and 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 uh, helped pass uh, No Child Left Behind. And I thought adding measurement to the system uh, was a really important equity component. But it, it's our, our focus on testing has, has sort of swamped uh, a, a lot of efforts at at uh, good teaching and deeper learning. Um, but it, it is important from an equity standpoint that we measure what matters, but we have to do it in smarter, more uh, curriculum embedded ways. And we have to start measuring um, the, these other skills and dispositions that are, that are critically important. Um, and so we need a broader dashboard of outcomes and we need to get better at reporting back to students how they're doing on that broader dashboard and we need uh, to get better at reporting to the community um, what learners know and are able to do. We think this um, this movement toward credentialing learning uh, is really one of the most important trends of this decade. We're, we're gonna see learners build um, comprehensive learner profiles or uh, some people call them learning and employment records that really help them tell their story with uh portfolios and um digital credentials that uh show uh stakeholders what they know and are able to do.
0: Can we park it here for a minute, Tom? Because this is incredibly fascinating. The current system, right, in your most recent book, you talk about how it was built for sorting. I, mean, I, I went through a sorting system, right? And there was a time in my life when I'm 35, not that uh, kind of removed. There were people who just didn't make it. Right. Right. And like and there was almost an acceptance to this. That there was like there were people that made it, people that didn't make it. There were people of the people that did make it. Some went to college, some stayed back. And I, I think, you know, the interesting piece to this is isn't it some ways the education that you're describing requires a lot, as in a lot of community buy-in, a yes. lot of uh, a lot of teacher. And and frankly, we're experiencing a pretty rapid decline in just access of the teaching labor force. Hey, give me some feedback on, give me some perspective, as you say, like how at scale, right? We have more people going to school. Um, the expectation is that everybody achieves, which is great. I, I agree. Um, and what you're now talking about is something that would be almost X, but I can't even contemplate what it would require to execute, yet it must be happening.
1: Well, we're excited about examples of this happening at scale. Uh, In Kansas City, on both sides of the state line, uh, there's an initiative called Real World Learning. um, And a set of community agreements um, have mobilized 600 business and civic partners to support more than 75 high schools that are adding real world learning experiences for every learner. And those include client connected projects and entrepreneurial experiences and internships, as well as college credit and industry credentials. So the goal is to uh, make high school more valuable for all students. Um, High schools work pretty well for some students, but uh, many students were just not having a very engaging or very valuable experience. And this This framework of uh, community agreements uh, around a set of experiences that are likely to produce uh, those valuable skills of leadership and problem solving has really helped mobilize the community. It's created air cover uh, for the superintendents to to be able to uh, help teachers focus on these new important skills. And it's it's bringing a lot of new resources into schools uh, to help support these projects. And so there's just a lot more community based learning, uh, that's, uh, that's happening in Kansas city. I think it's a, a great sign of, uh, what's possible across the region.
0: You speak from experience as a former superintendent, I, even more interesting, the transition from the business world into superintendency. Give me from your, va- from your vantage point, right? How valuable was that experience and what you do now? What, what were some of the lessons learned throughout that
1: journey? So I'm uh, engineered by original training, and then I backed into uh, finance. Um, I started a company um, that didn't work out. My uh, After that, I joined a startup that uh, grew very, very quickly and was quite successful. Um, and that uh, after we sold that business, um, I, I decided I wanted to work in education. A lot of people in my life had um, influenced me to get involved in education. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to join a school district in, um, in Washington that was looking for a new approach and a more community, uh, connected way of, uh, of learning. And, um, it was a real paradox, um, Adam, because I was on a number of dimensions, um, extraordinarily well prepared, um, I had taught leadership at, uh, at the graduate level for 10 years, and um, I understood strategy and finance and technology in a really profound way, um, but I had never worked in K-12 schools. And so I had uh, a real peaks and valleys on <laughs> my experience level, and um, sometimes my, our teachers let me know that. Um, So I just made a real commitment to being in schools every day um, and learned a lot, gained a tremendous amount of respect for the the work that teachers do. And together, um, I I did have the good fortune of meeting Bill Gates early uh, as a superintendent. And with a little bit of help from Microsoft, we were one of the first school districts in the country to go uh, one-to-one, the first district to start a a, a virtual school back in 1995, um, so we were able to um, make a lot of innovations happen in uh, in short order by mobilizing local and uh, regional support.
0: Tell me, it wasn't just stunning when you're a school superintendent with an engineering background talking to Bill Gates, starting a virtual school before virtual was even <laughs> contemplated.
1: No, Adam, I, re- I remember going to my board saying, uh, I think we need an internet school. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure we need one. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a real honor to help um, Bill and Melinda with some of their uh, early grant making. Um, I, I helped them develop a leadership uh, curriculum to help train all the principals in Washington State on how to use uh technology. Remember, this is 1994, the first year that we saw WWW show up on the cover of Time magazine. So this was new to uh, to all of us. We were all trying to figure out how to use email and, um, and how we ought to be thinking about um, teaching and learning systems. Um, and so I, I had the chance to work with them and then help them launch a uh, their foundation, it was called the Gates Library Foundation and then the Gates Learning Foundation. And then uh, we changed the name to the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, the beginning of uh, 2000. So you're
0: there, right? We'll, We'll stay on this story for a minute. So you're school soup, figuring out the internet before many people had even engaged in the internet, working in kind of the, the Rubicon, if you will, of, of education. And you're helping Bill and Melinda Gates start a foundation that is almost now, I mean, ubiquitous with philanthropy. Well, you were the first executive director, am I, am I correct, of the ed- I, their I education? Was. When,
1: and when Bill um, hired me, he said, Why don't you just travel for six months and then come back and tell me what you think we should do? And that, Really, that, that was uh, 1999. I call that Tom's uh, w- wonderful summer adventure. I, I had the chance to visit four or 500 schools uh, that fall um, and a whirlwind tour. Um, my friend Tony Wagner um, introduced me to uh, many of the legends in, in education. Um, we would see a, n- a number of schools every day, and uh, it was a real eye-opening experience in two respects. One is um, we visited some of the most challenging um, neighborhoods and uh, most challenged schools in America. And uh, we also visited a number of uh, super innovative schools that I really didn't know anything about as a superintendent. So it was um, a wonderful learning experience. And it's why I still claim to have visited more schools than anybody on the planet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Undisputed champion. So you, you visit these schools and you come back with some of these lessons. I mean, you obviously tried a number of things during your tenure at the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation. What, what worked and what seemed to be maybe harder to get off the ground?
1: Yeah. We, you know, after that um, six-month tour, we developed um, a set of seven um, characteristics of, of, of effective schools. Uh, a lot of people remember um, the, the the small characteristic of, of being communities of uh, typically uh, about a hundred students per grade, uh, but but we had seven characteristics of um, of, of effective teaching, of uh, a coherent academic program, uh, sustained leadership, uh, and so we we really launched um, two big initiatives. One was to uh, start uh, as many new high schools as we could uh, in cities that um, had a really big dropout problem. We also identified that uh, the national graduation rate was only about 66%. So we really wanted to go after that um, by starting um, great new high schools wherever we could. And then secondly, uh, trying... Uh, to provide support to about 800 of the most challenged existing high schools in America. We ended up spending about uh, a billion dollars on both of those efforts on the new school front. um, We helped start almost uh, well, more than 1200 new schools and that worked very, very well. Um, All of those, almost all of those schools um, still exist and perform at very high levels. Um, there's many strands of that, that, uh, continue to go strong today. Things like the early, early college, high school initiative and, and, uh, P-TECH, these schools that combine high school and college and, uh, uh technical experience, our efforts to, to transform existing schools didn't work as well. And, um, anybody that's tried to, uh, to turn around, um, a really struggling school uh, knows that uh, it's extraordinarily challenging. And uh, so I would say few of those um, 800 uh, efforts uh, really resulted in a sustainable um, turnaround. I'm sure that was
0: maybe disappointing and be frustrating, but it was also, yeah, at least at minimum have to make a run at it.
1: There's a, uh, there's a lot of uh, good that came um, from that. I, you know, I mentioned Kansas city um, and an example of work that we supported there was uh, Kansas city, Kansas was one of the first districts in the country to move to small learning communities. And they did it so thoughtfully that their graduation rate uh, jumped from um, mid sixties to the mid eighties uh, very, very quickly. And, um, and we uh, we tried to help other um, high schools in that region um, adopt the same uh, sort of a structure, and um, the results um, were not quite as um, as strong as they were in Kansas City, Kansas. But um, you know, it launched organizations like Prep KC that um, is is now one of our partners in the Real World Learning Initiative and. Uh, across Kansas City, and and so I think there were um, a, a lot of benefits to uh, many of those projects, but um, just not the sort of breakthrough uh, formula that uh, that we had hoped for. And I think that's the big lesson learned: that there's not a silver bullet in education. Uh, that it it takes um, it's a system, and it takes really thoughtful, sustained leadership uh, and support for great teaching over uh, a lot of years to uh, really improve learning opportunities across the region.
0: Bringing that back to the start of our conversation, in some ways, with that same mindset, right, it is feasible that maybe some of the community-based work, there's a system that would work great. And then there may be something we haven't contemplated that will be required to kind of pull the rest of the schools forward. Is it is that a fair analysis?
1: Sure. It is. And, and in every city that uh, that we worked, we tried to combine efforts to create new school development and to uh, try to transform the, the the lowest performing high schools. And I, I think an agenda like that, a, a, a strong innovation agenda, and then combining that with an equity agenda that's making sure that every student has access to high quality and simultaneously trying to um, create a new sense of what's possible that working on both of those simultaneously is really important
0: you know it sounds like tom along your journey you've really been at the forefront of many things right you're going to start business that spun you out and then you started up a school and then you started up uh you know the the time with bill and melinda gates looking forward Right, we talk a lot about workforce. It's become the topic du jour of politicians, and and it's a feel good, right? Advancing our workforce, upskilling, reskilling. But implicit in that is a lot of work, right? This is the the person that needs to be upskilled and reskilled. That is code word for back to school training, OJT when you think about kind of the next, the, the next innovation, the next iteration of workforce in this same mindset, right? That you've, as you've looked forward already, what do you see? Like, what's, what does that future look like?
1: Let me make a, a, a quick statement before I answer that question. Um, Certainly. I feel really paradoxical about the, the opportunity set in front of us. On, on one hand, there's never been a better time to be a young person. The, the opportunity for every young person in America uh, to, to make a difference, not just make a living, but to make a meaningful impact has never been better. Um, in high school, you can do extraordinary work today. You can launch a campaign, you can code an app, you can build a business. There's never been better access to capital, both venture and philanthropic um, it's never been easier to learn how to code the, the learning opportunities that exist in both the formal and informal uh, setting are just extraordinary. And so from that standpoint, it's uh, it's an exciting time to be alive and there's a lot of work to do and it's neat to see um, teenagers around the globe uh, so actively involved in, in difference making the flip side of it, um is is a level of inequality um, that's uh, expanding around the globe that really worries me. There's this triple ratchet of um, automation from uh, machine learning, of um, climate change and then add the pandemic on top of that. And those are like a, a, a triple ratchet that are benefiting the most well-off and penalizing, um, historically marginalized communities in this uh, country and around the world. And so I see this barbell economy um, where you have affluent uh, professionals that are mobile, that are taking advantage of, of uh, the extraordinary new learning opportunities, both formal and informal, to accelerate their career and their impact. And, and a lot of uh, marginalized communities um, stuck in dead-end service jobs without the ability for a variety of reasons to, uh, to access opportunity. And so that is the way I see the landscape today is uh, um, a, a level of inequity that worries me a lot. And so uh, to answer your question, I'm, I'm super excited about the developments of the last two years, the move to skill-based uh, hiring. And the entrance of all the big tech players into the education landscape—they're uh, all very active in education today. Microsoft and, and Google, uh, Salesforce, IBM has long been the leader in, in digital credentialing. Um, it, it's it's gone almost unnoticed by colleges and uh, and high schools that all these extraordinary learning resources have been uh, have been created. Um, But what that models for us is that the opportunity to learn is so great and it's so easy. Uh, What we really need is uh, to to create supportive environments where people will feel a sense of belonging and safety, uh, attachment, uh, and where they have an advisor, a mentor, uh, where they can have a sustained relationship with that helps them make good choices about the opportunities to work and learn um, in their community. And so I think that might be the the most important thing uh, to combine with all these new learning opportunities is is, um, secondary and post-secondary institutions that have really strong uh, student support systems and student uh, guidance systems that um, helps them make good uh, choices going forward.
0: It's almost as if the
1: case for optimism,
0: right? Cause I hear all about the negatives and I don't mean that they're not worth recognizing they are important, but the case that you're making is that the access, just the sheer access to resources for entrepreneurism, education,
1: they're it's unprecedented. It, it, it gets better. The opportunities that gets better every month. It's really, it's, it's extraordinary. It's so easy to learn Uh, critical skills. And it's so much easier to raise money today than it was um, uh, even 10 years ago when, when we launched uh, uh, our venture fund. Um, So, and, and the exciting thing, um, Adam, is that, you know, 10 years ago you had to go to New York or Silicon Valley to raise money. And today it's worldwide. Uh, You can, you can really be, you can build a virtual team from anywhere to do almost anything and uh, and raise money for it, so the opportunity set is is really good. Um, the the issue is is how do we create a, an opportunity platform that helps more people access those opportunities?
0: Almost that maybe being the greatest challenge, right? That the access to the opportunities, not so much the access to the learning or the financial backing, because. That those have almost become readily available.
1: Absolutely. Um, and that's why I think um, we, we, there's some lessons to be learned from Scandinavia. When we look at uh, the, we've thought about um, Finland and Sweden as having great education systems for for 20 years. But um, I, I, when I visit and, um, and, and compare, um, I, I, I think they're, Social contract has more to do with the student success than the differences that I, I see in, in school pedagogy, um, and so I think these this widening inequity gap in our society um, suggests to me that we just we need to be paying more attention um, to meeting basic needs, to providing quality um, child care and early learning opportunities. Uh, so that parents, uh, working parents, have a, 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 an opportunity to learn to step into these these exciting new earn and learn ladders, where you can um, you can work and you can learn either on the job or in an in an associated institution, and and keep laddering up. The, the earn and learn ladders that are uh, being organized right now are are really exciting. Um, new level of opportunity.
0: It also seems it'll manage debt, right? I mean, if you consider that the, if you thought about the group of people I graduate with, that's like a draft class or a cohort. Yeah. The predominant number of them who left with debt were then forced to make earning decisions that potentially limited them long-term because of the need to manage the debt load that they incurred for basic basic education
1: yeah this is a great point Adam I you know the older I get the more I think about unintended consequences but um, you know our 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 plank at the Bill and Melinda Gates in 2000 was all kids college ready um, that was sort of adopted nationally as all kids go to college um, and it, it just was a big push uh, became a big push towards college prep and pushing everybody to college. I think that had uh, unfortunate, um outcome of of sending more unprepared students into more expensive schools and taking on um, more and more debt. And as the price of college kept going up, the cost of uh, debt without degree has really become catastrophic. I mean it, it's a it's a life altering uh, situation if you leave college with debt and uh, no degree. and so, we, we need new, I, I mentioned guidance systems a few minutes ago. We have to be much more thoughtful about pushing kids to college. We have to help families make much uh, smarter decisions about uh, post-secondary institutions with a really strong uh, return on investment. Um, there, there's just so many um, great uh, career pathways now where you can, um, earn and learn, and very quickly step into high wage employment, but employment that, that doesn't cap you out, um, but, but you know opens up opportunities to continue to learn and to continue to advance, either as an employee or as, a, as an entrepreneur. So, um, guidance is super important. I'll mention uh, our friends at the San Diego Workforce um, Partnership, uh, workforce.org best example of personalized and localized guidance in America. If you live in San Diego County, you can call workforce.org and they'll understand who you are and what you're good at, what you care about, and they'll give you zip-specific advice about the learning and work opportunities in your community. That's the sort of support that we need to build for this uh, 21st century economy.
0: In that line with the 21st century economy, we talk and hear a ton about AI. I think almost AI was a novelty – right? Oh, there's uh, an AI machine playing chess. Here's an AI uh, on Jeopardy, right? And then out of nowhere, it, and you know, nowhere being a kind of laughable term, but it's here. And you're seeing and hearing about AI as a potentially, of course, again, talked about in a negative sense. I'm sure every innovation was thought about at one point as a threat, But, you know, you're reading uh, Yuval Harari's book says, doctors, lawyers, be prepared, right? AI can do your job. Uh, But equally in the same breath.
1: Real estate agents, every profession and every task within a profession that can be uh, reduced to a a, a repeatable rule set um, has been or will be done in the very near future. So it's changing every profession is being automated uh, very, very quickly.
0: But again, right? So then let's run this out for a minute. All of these systems and functions that employ large swaths of, uh, let's use the American economy, all which mostly required degrees, which all those are then tied back to debt. Where do these people go? And, And he posits that the AI will maybe run alongside, it won't supplant. And that we should be thinking about this as a major advantage, almost in some ways freeing up possibly what farming did for the hunters and gatherers of their right. time. You know, how do you see this?
1: Uh, you know, I just did a, uh, we just posted a podcast a couple days ago with Craig um, Tapo and Jim Tracy. They have a great new book called Running with Robots. And they did a beautiful job of summarizing the new economy of creating curating caring uh the the three c's of the new economy those are things that um for the foreseeable future that human beings are are just going to be a lot better at than um than machines and so this does um open up the opportunity for more people to be involved in the creative arts i'm i'm excited about the 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 combined um uh Developments of Web three for more people to be involved in music and um, visual arts as well as the performing arts, and and be able to monetize those in new uh, and sustainable ways. So think um, non fungible tokens and and the like of of ways that artists can monetize their work and then retain a portion of the earning stream with it. The the ability to create to uh, to spot opportunity and to create value. Um, in new ways is, is uh, just more and more important in every single um, uh, profession. And then the cyber curating of, of being able to curate resources in, in ways that are useful to people. Those are examples of, uh, of new opportunities uh, that exist. I'll add the, the, the clean tech economy. Uh, John Doerr uh, just published Speed and Scale, uh, speedandscale.org, which is a beautiful uh, blueprint uh, for the future of the economy and and he thinks there's 25 million jobs in America um, in clean tech and he acknowledges that there's going to be a ton of uh, displacement along the way and it's going to be uneven in terms of who's displaced and and uh, geographically where people are displaced and that that's going to be an important role for state and federal government to help deal with that displacement but he and others are are super excited about the uh, employment opportunities and the creation opportunities in the, the, the clean tech economy. So there's plenty of work to do. There will be uh, high levels of employment into the future, but there'll be uh, tremendous levels of dislocation. And so we're going to need a new social contract that, that better helps um, people make a transition and, uh, and get smart fast in, uh, in new areas of interest. Tom, a
0: fascinating conversation. I'll get you out of here on this. We ask everybody a series of big predictions. You talk about patterns, right? You just used that word a moment ago. What are the next kind of three emerging patterns that you see on the global education landscape?
1: Um, uh, I mentioned broader aims. uh, There's a UNESCO report that came out a a month ago that chronicles the adoption of uh, social-emotional learning uh, more broadly, the recognition of whole child and whole family uh, as as an important aspect. We're seeing um, thousands of communities around America adopt a new portrait of a graduate or a, a learner profile that that better captures um, the things we've talked about today. Leadership, learner agency, problem solving um, as new goals. So broader aims. um We'll see a continued unbundling and rebundling of uh, learning models where uh, people have more and more opportunity to learn in and out of school, um, and those will be rebundled by new credentialing systems, new ways to capture and communicate units of learning that will help both learners and institutions sort of stitch together learning, whether it happened in a formal setting or an informal setting that's going to drop into a learner and employment record. And then learners are going to be able to curate uh, those records and permission those to stakeholders so that you can have a version of your record that you can send out to tech employers and a version of your record that you can send out to post-secondary learning institutions and to scholarship organizations. So these learner curated records, I think will help um, unlock new levels of opportunity and they'll to more accurately describe a set of capabilities than th- what degree did you get and where did, where did you go to school?
0: Wow. And Tom, if you were investing in the education marketplace, right, venture fund investing in your own, Series A, you know, where where would you
1: be looking right now? Where are you looking? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, w- w- uh, uh, on on one hand, we've seen um, record-setting uh, levels of investment in ed tech around the globe. Um, I think a lot of that is flowing into um, old technologies. Um, we've seen public uh, companies go public. Uh, these old learning management systems uh, that look a lot like they did 20 years ago when they were designed for higher education, and they they to me they have little to do with Um, what human development looks like today. So there there is an opportunity for new learner experience platforms, um, new platforms that both um, provoke support um, new kinds of learning experiences and then capture and communicate that in new ways. So that might be two categories of learner experience platforms and uh, uh, credentialing systems. Uh, I think those are two hot areas. Um, the creation category of just being able to support um, learner-created um, music, art, presentation, um, storytelling. Uh, I think that's a, an exciting category, not just in education, but uh, but more broadly.
0: And any specific companies that you're on, keeping your eyes on, anything that Any one of the, and you don't have to share if it's proprietary.
1: Um, There is a a great spin out um, from Arizona State uh, uh, called journeys.do.do that is an example of what I was describing. Uh, It's a, a personal learning platform. But in a social context, so it recognizes that human beings grow in relationship, uh, that and it um, it supports individual growth, but in the context of uh, typically in a small group, and it's just it's exciting to see that working in uh, in great schools like uh, One Stone in Boise and in um, juvenile detention uh, here in Arizona, um, and even in. Um, uh, small groups in in faith congregations. Any place there's a a small group of individuals committed to uh, helping each other grow. Uh, new platforms like uh, like Journey do are um, are making a difference.
0: Tom, we'll close on this. I, I'd almost be remiss if I didn't ask. It's not often we have someone on the show who's had a direct, first hand interaction with Bill Gates, and I watched Bill documentary on netflix you know he seemed like an incredibly inquisitive challenging uh delightful i mean kind of every attribute you could describe if you give us just an anecdote about your time working with him what, what was that experience like
1: he is the fastest learner that i've ever experienced um and and there's two two examples of that um he and Melinda would always come to meetings extraordinarily well prepared. And I'd say, would you like me to go through the deck? And they'd say, no, we've, we've read the deck. We have questions. Uh, um, And he (laughs) could combine facts. He'd say this fact on page two and this fact on page 17. And if you triangulate those and, and project them out, you'd have this result. Isn't that right? And so the, the ability to synthesize data at scale um, quickly is just something I'd, I still haven't seen anybody do better. Um, the, the other thing I really appreciate about Bill is his Think Weeks. Um, I, I was on a – this was mentioned on a Tim Ferriss podcast this morning. Um, Bill would take a box of books out to yeah. the Hood, Hood Canal um, in Washington State and read them all and synthesize <laughs> them and come back on Monday morning – one of the smartest people on the planet on that subject so like uh, he, he did that once on on uh, carbon and carbon sequestration um, and it I, I've, I've just never seen anyone be able to devour and synthesize uh, so much technical content uh, so quickly so just he's an extraordinary individual and uh, and I I, I really um appreciate his um commitment to impact both in education and health and global development. I, I think they've um they they're just a great example of um what people that are blessed with means uh, can do. Tom well said.
0: Thank you so much for joining the show. Tom if our listeners want to stay in touch, want to kind of follow some of your uh very valuable lessons, what's the best way to get a
1: hold of you? Yeah. Check out, uh, gettingsmart.com. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at T vander Erk. If you want to uh, watch uh, my cycling adventures and school visits, you can find me, uh, at Tom Vanderark on Instagram. And if, uh, you, you want to join my, uh, my vegetarian cooking channel, epic.veg on Instagram, I'll see you there.
0: I'm always glad to join a fellow veg. Tom, wonderful having you on Capital Class. Thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Adam. Thank you for joining today's class with Tom VanderArk. Tom's made a career looking forward and embracing the emergent trend as an opportunity. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an idea for our next class, please email me directly at adam.geary at gmail.com. You've been listening to Capital Class. Adventure with the Strategists Podcast Network. Learn more at strategistgroup.com. I'm Adam Geary. Class is closed.